Well, we welcome those that are tuning in with us today uh, through one of these social media avenues and uh, love the fact that you are here with us in our sanctuary today. If you'll grab your Bibles as we're going to be the next 15 weeks, 15 steps and some strides along the way, we'll talk more about that as we go into this book of Joshua. And today I want to talk to you just about a simple concept and I'm really, really pumped up. I'm excited. In fact, Mr. Fred back there on the back row challenged me. He said, motivate us today. And I said, you lay your ears back. Here we go. But uh, today, uh, for you that come on Wednesdays, you know, there's just some of those days that I overfloweth. And today is one of those incredible days as I'm just excited that I have some important things to share with you in terms of the Christian faith. After all, that's really what God's called me to do is help you along in the Christian faith. That's what the word of God is there for. And as we go today to Joshua chapter one, let's go ahead and read these first eight verses. They all hang together nicely for us. As we talk about, and I just want to stop for a moment, and, 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 and I want you to rivet in to these words. What we're about to hear is a game changer. What you're about to hear is a game changer in the Christian life. There'll not be a single one of you when you walk out here today that say, you know, I'm just really disappointed in the message. It won't be because the presenter's any good, he's rotten. But what I'm about to share with you is a game changer in terms of your Christian faith. Let's read together God's word. In fact, these words are so familiar to us. I, one of my prayer points this week has been, God, energize chapter one in a special way. And here's what God's word says. After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, then you and all these people, you get ready to cross over the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give you to the Israelites. And verse three is really our central focus today. So as I read it, look at it very carefully. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon to the great river, to the Euphrates, to the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will ever be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And as, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong, be very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Now keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I was just thinking this week, and I just want you to jot this down as a precursor to what we're gonna talk about today, how close the very excursion, the very journey of God's children resembles the stages of the Christian life. 
In fact, I just jotted down the four key seasons of a believer's life. And it's interesting because it lines up and parallels with the seasons of the Israelite children as they were making their important way from that 400 plus years of bondage into a whole new land. And just quickly, let's just jot them down. Four important steps, going out, going through, going in, and going on. I just want you to have those as a backdrop. Let me say them again, going out, going through, going in and going on. Now, as you're jotting those down, if we put those in two parameters of God's children, we would know, I mean, obviously God's children had to go out of something. They had to go out of the darkness. They had to go out of the bondage. There on the right-hand side, we would say, hey, we have our, what? Our, our salvation experience. We too, at some point, have to leave the darkness and bondage of Satan's empire, the darkness of this world, in order to see the real light and that light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the going through. I mean, I don't know how someone turns an 11-day trip into 40 years, but think about God's children. They took just a couple of week venture and somehow managed to stretch it out over 40 years and they left several million people, the carcasses of the bodies out there in the desert. That's how devastating that trip was on those people going through. And you and I go through so much as we journey through the Christian life and going in as we enter into God's incredible, incredible stages of maturity. As they crossed over the Jordan, there's those parallels. And then finally, there's the incredible parallels of going on. You do understand that once they achieved reaching and conquering the land, now, now, now it's time to conquest the land. Now it's time to make it fertile. Now it's time to divvy it up and divide it up and to make it productive, this place that God had given them. And I just, I, every week I'm just overwhelmed at how many believers I encounter that they, there they are, stagnant and stale. You do understand that the Christian life is never, never intended to bring us to the point where we are in neutral. Neutral is going backwards. Neutral is defeat. Understand that God has a plan for us to reach our fullest potential and our maturity. Going on in the Christian life, it, our lives are never to be static. Although the Christian life is always stable, it's never meant to stand still or to stagnate. Now quickly, go back to verse number three because I want us to look at that one more time because that's the key of what I wanna share with you in this first of 15 power-packed moments in our Christian life. Again, again, a game changer. The Bible says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Now I want you to write this important statement down. In fact, I think most of it's sketched out for you and I want you to let it soak in for a moment. It is God's intention that Christians always walk on conquered ground. Wow. It is our God's intention that every place you and I take a step, that we do so understanding that we walk on conquered ground. In other words, that every place we trod, that all belongs to God. And I'm not talking about something that's pie in the sky here. I'm talking about the ground that you and I walk on every single day of our lives. I don't know about you, but I've just asked myself the question all week, man, would that make a difference in our lives or what? 
that every day when you and I got up out of bed and we got ready to make our journey out into life's schedule, whatever that is, retirement, work, school, whatever it may be, if we began our day understanding something very important, we're not gonna take a single step today that's not on God's ground. Ground that God has already conquered. Ground that God has already given us. Man, what a difference that would make. In fact, that's really a key behind the scenes of the victorious Christian life. In order to live that, can you imagine getting up every day and saying to God, whatever path you put me on today, I'm ready. Not because I can handle whatever comes my way, but because wherever it is, it's gonna be on ground. That's your ground. Ground that you've conquered. Lord, wherever I may go, whatever circumstance, can you imagine what this must have meant to Joshua and to all the people of the nation of Israel to know that, hey, when you, as you cross over, man, you're gonna have some incredible challenges, but understand, you won't take a single inch of that land that I haven't already provided for you. Can you imagine that in the mornings? Whatever circumstance, Lord, whatever mountain you have me to, cry, to, to climb, whatever rough patch that you, I, may, I may go through, man, I'm telling you, that is huge. Now, what you're gonna see today is verse three, five, and seven are gonna be central verses to us. I want you to look at how this kind of pans out. Look back in verse number three. Do you see the concept of every place that's given to us? And if you go down to verse number five, it's amplified. And what does the NIV say? All the days, every day. You have every place and every day. And I just ask you, is there anything broader than that in our lives? Wherever we go, God says, in every day, in every place that you go, I have already laid the groundwork for you. And the ultimate result, verse seven, and you will be successful. You see, the paths that Joshua and the Israelites were going on to was certainly not gonna be an easy path. It was not gonna be an easy journey. It was gonna be treacherous and tough and difficult and trying. But they knew going in that they were gonna be walking on incredible ground, conquered ground. And I just ask today, are you interested in a life like that? Are you interested in being a Christian that has a life where, hey, every single day when you get up, you know it's intended for your victory. And you can be walking on conquered ground. You are walking on con conquered ground. It's time for us to start acknowledging that. Think about that for a moment. Now, there's three or four things I want you to jot down, and man, are they important. And I'm just gonna divide them up throughout these 15 weeks with two important words so that you and I will be on the same page. I'm gonna give you a number of applications over the next 15 weeks that I'm just gonna call steps. So when you hear the word steps, you know, hey, this is an important application. But I'm also gonna be giving you some, 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 uh, a key word that when I tell you, hey, now, now we're gonna get into a stride. Now, I don't know how that translates to you. Steps are important because without them, we can't get anywhere. Can I have an amen? But a stride is more substantial. A stride is elongated, takes a little more energy, a little more purpose, a little more practicality to it. We were watching the Olympics yesterday and uh, my wife is really quite astute in athletics. But when it came to the steeplechase race yesterday, she didn't quite understand why these people were running, jumping over barriers, and then splashing into water. And I said, well, baby, that's the very nature of the steeplechase. 
And as we were talking about that, I, I, I want you to understand that, that part of that race, I tried to help her understand, hey, when you are exhausted and you come to that water barrier, you got to jump up on top of that barrier. You know you're going to get your feet and your legs wet. It's just a matter of how deep, how far out you can jump. If you don't jump very far, you go much deeper down in the water. If you're able to springboard off that barrier a little bit further, then you, you, I mean, the water that you have to travel is much shallower. So therefore, you would think it's going to be an easier run, an easier exercise for you. So in that, that's how we are going to use these next 15 weeks, some steps and some strides. Let me start, first of all, jot it down with this step. When you look at these eight verses, we remember something important. A real key to the victorious Christian life is responding to the promises of God. Responding to the promises of God. Do you know that every day that you and I are living, we are writing our history every single day. We're writing the history of our Christian lives with the ink of our response to the very promises of God. And because there are so many people that have responded negatively to the promises of God, you and I live in church life, in work life, in communal life, in our neighborhoods and community with so many people that claim to be Christian but are living defeated and disillusioned life. And if you're sitting here today and you don't believe that's a fact, you need to open your eyes. The city of Longview is littered with people that have gone through the waters of a baptistry just like ours at some point in past years. But now as you look at them in their Christian life, put quotes around that, it's a life of no church affiliation, of no seeming spiritual growth, of no gospel conveyance of that important message to others. And they're struggling. And I would just submit to you that at the very bedrock of why that occurs, it's because of our response, now listen carefully, our response to the promises of God. So many people that are frustrated, so many people that feel abandoned and defeated, and again, disillusioned. Well, that's, that's why we're looking at chapter one, isn't it? I mean, the whole book of Deuteronomy brought us to the moment I mean, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, when a, when a couple of million people decided, you know what, we're not gonna trust God's promise. God says, hey, I brought you to the river. There's the land, now go take it. And 10 spies came back and said, well, they had a church conference, didn't they? Had a church conference, had a, had, had a big vote. 10 of the spies said, you know what? There's some big, big folks over there. Gonna cost too much. We don't have enough money, don't have enough power. God says, I've given you all that thing. Just go take it. Two men stood up and said, let's go. Let's just trust God. 10 of the men said, well, it's a bit much. And so a whole nation turned away from God. How did they respond? What was the response to God's promise? Negative response. You know, I, one of my favorite moments in the Bible was one of my devotionals this past week. Moment when Peter and some other guys were fishing 
Jesus says, hey, 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 did you catch anything? Now, Jesus always asks the right questions at the right time. But in our culture, it's probably not always good to ask a fisherman whether he caught anything or not. That's just not something you would do. In fact, on the lake, the etiquette is such, you don't just pull up to someone's boat, make a big wake and say, hey, you catching anything? That wouldn't go over well with area fishermen. And wives, no need to ask your husband when he gets home with the boat if he caught anything. If he did, he'll let you know. Can I hear an amen? No need to ask him. He'll let you know. And Jesus just asked the question, hey, hey, you guys caught anything? And at that moment, an interesting thing begins to ensue, doesn't it? Peter, of all people, begins to let Jesus know. Now, now I think in the background, now again, this is just my thoughts. I think Peter's thinking, you know what? Jesus ought to kind of stick to the miracles and the preaching side of things and let the real fisher men take care of this business. But Peter shouts back, hey, master, we have labored all night and we've not caught anything. And Jesus says, do this, toss your net on the other side. Something really good's gonna happen. Just toss it over there, do it. And at that command, Peter and the others must have thought, man, we've labored all night. But do you remember the King James, as the King James words it, and I wrote it down because I was scared I would forget it, uh, these, these words, nevertheless, you remember that? Nevertheless, they cast their nets on the other side. And the Bible says there was such a huge catch, it began to break down the very nets of the men trying to haul it in. Correct response. You see, an important step for us is to understand that the victorious Christian life, if there's anything that Joshua is gonna teach us as we go through different segments of our life, it is that our responsiveness is everything. Now that's an important step, learning to respond. Now let me give you this stride and we'll be done. We're gonna unload both barrels, are you ready? Jot this stride down now, so important. How do we respond? How do we achieve this responsiveness? Now listen, it's a game changer. We respond by accepting God's promises personally. You and I have got to come to the place in our Christian lives where we respond to God's promises on behalf of us. Not on behalf of Oakland Heights Baptist Church. Not on behalf of the Southern Baptist Convention. Not on behalf of evangelicals around the world. Not on behalf of the evangelical text, the God's word, the Bible. No, 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 no. You and I, if we're ever gonna be responsive the way that we need to be, we've gotta do so personally. Now, I just look around. Man, there's some great people in this room. Can't say much about upstairs, but down here, there's some great ones. I'm joking with y'all. I love my balcony dwellers. Man, there's some good ones. In fact, I think today, I might could even get a unanimous vote if I lined you up and said, do you believe God's word is true? 
I don't think there'd be a single one of you in here this morning that would say, no, pastor, we just believe the Bible is a big hoax. It's just, it's just a, big, a big joke. No, I believe that you believe in the Bible. But see, you and I have got to come to the point when God's promises are involved that we stop seeing those promises as history or theology. We've got to stop seeing them just as doctrine. I want you to see something. Remember I mentioned, I'm going to go back how important verse 357 were to us. Go back and look and, and, and take a glance at those. Look, look at this personal connection that's given here. Verse number three, I, I will give you back every place where you set your foot as I promised. Who? Moses. Go down to verse number five. He says, no one will be able to stand against you as all the days of your life as I was with, I'm listening, Moses. You go over there to verse number seven. Be careful to obey the law, my servant Moses gave you. Do you see the personal nature of this? But there begins the disconnect. Are you listening? See, you and I, in amazing fashion, believe what God did for Moses because we have it in a book that we revere. You and I believe in the incredible moment of Abraham. Boy, God was good to Abraham. Woo! He was about to have to take the life of that one. That boy, oh my goodness. And God just did something amazing. We believe that. We teach that. We dwell in that. We believe on a road that Paul was knocked down to the ground and some type of bright light Saul was converted into Paul, the great apostle. And, and, and we believe that and we hold that dear. But when it comes to the powerful promises of God for you and for me, the word just doesn't really extend in our lives personally. I mean, we believe that folks in the Bible gave a tenth. They manage their funds that way. We believe that the Bible says some incredible things about the word of God, and it worked out well for a lot of people for many centuries. But when it comes to us, we so often as we're striding out in this concept of making it personal, have two big barriers. The first barrier is the essence of time. And I want you to jot this down. God's promises are never altered by time. God's promises are never altered by time. They're just as relevant to us today as they were in the Bible in that day and time. Yes, I believe it's God's word, pastor. Yes, I believe in the history Bible, pastor. But yet when it comes to the practical, practical applicable concept of it working in my life today, I don't know. And somehow I've got to help you understand that the Bible is more than a museum piece. It's more than a book of theos or theology. It's more than a set of doctrinal truths. It's more than a history. This is the promise book to you, to Judy, to Kevin, to Becky, to Dave. It's, these promises are yours because God does not alter his promises when it comes to time. 
Get over there in the book of Romans and boy, woo, we love it, don't we? You're more than conquerors. And we lay it down beside David's life and say, David, and we sit, we can, we hear it, that sling. Oh boy, God made him more than a conqueror. Or Moses standing there at the side of the Red Sea with that staff. And we can almost hear the wake and the waves parting and and them going across on dry land. And we say, yes, but when it comes to, and we put our name in that box, it's kind of like, wow, well, 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 that was a long time ago. And I remind you that God's promises are never altered by time, ever. Oh, Joshua. Isn't that what God's telling Joshua? Verse three, verse five, verse seven. Joshua. Just as I did this for Moses, just with the same power and the authority, Joshua, I'm going to do this for you. Yeah, but it was Moses. No, 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 Joshua. Time marches on, but my promises are never altered by time. What a great, profound statement. And I just stop. And let's be transparent and honest. Don't answer out loud. Do you really believe today that you have the same power as the apostle Paul had in the Lord? Do you believe you you have the same power as Moses did, as Peter did, as Ruth or Naomi had? You ever stop to think about that? Maybe their tank was full of God's spirit and yours is only a quarter full. Maybe theirs was three quarters full and yours is an eighth full. You do understand that God's power is not diminished over time. You see, what God was telling Joshua is, Joshua, my presence is not confined to one generation or to one man. I was trying to think back. It's been... at least four or five months ago, I had a gentleman, not, not from our church, that was in my office. And anyway, he had called, made a special request. He, he, he was coming through town uh, and, and, and wanted to talk to me about a couple things. And, and, the, and the message that he left me on my phone was, so-and-so recommended that I talk to you. My life is just in shambles. Well, that's always kind of a concerning statement, isn't it? Don't know exactly what you're going to get there. So when the guy came in, first time I'd ever met him, we sat down in my office, we, we, we talked for a better part of an hour. And to be honest with you, the more I talked to him, the more I figured out, hey, dude, your life is about as normal as there is out there. I don't see anything in shambles here. In fact, I think I got bigger issues than you do. And finally, at the end of the conversation, I don't know, we've been talking 45 or 50 minutes, and the guy looked at me and he said, well, Pastor, Pastor Mike, I, I just want to summarize it by saying this. If I could have all that you have in God, I'd be set. And I said, well, what exactly do you think I have in God? 
He said, well, you clergy, you guys that are called in vocational service, you get an extra measure. I said, the only thing we get an extra measure of is accountability. And an extra measure of whooping on is what you get an extra measure of. Go ahead and say amen to that right there, friends. Oh, yeah. You get some whoopings. And I thought when he left, boy, if I ever get an opportunity to help a group of believers understand that the presence and power of God is never altered by position or time. Man, that is so very important. I wrote down Micah 7 and verse 20. You go back to your Old Testament, you and I began to read and we began to get the feeling quickly. You know what? God's promises are go from generation to generation. Listen to what Micah said in chapter 7, verse 20. You will be faithful to, you, you will be faithful to Jacob. You'll show your love to Abraham. And as you pledged an oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Wow. Micah says, when you look back in history, it doesn't matter how far you go back, God has been powerful and present and moving in the lives. That's a promise he's given to every believer. And we see the historical, the backward look. You come over there to your New Testament and you let the pages fall open to Galatians chapter three and verse number 14. And you read these words, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the spirit. In that same chapter, it's interesting, Galatians 3.29 makes this incredible statement. The Bible says, if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and the heirs according to the promise. Well, if there's anything, I would hope that when you walk out of this sanctuary, you could do is today say, hey, my responsiveness to God's promise and his promises in my life personally are the true catalyst if I'm ever gonna live a victorious Christian life. You'll never do it until you make those promises personal and overcome that first big hurdle of saying, well, the time, the canon of time, they lived in a different time, now we live in this time, we have different problems, and I remind you, Time never alters God's promises. But you see, there's a second big hurdle. It's not just this area of time, but it's God's promises are never affected by circumstances. Now that's what really gets us. Not just does the time connection get us, but the circumstances get us. It's kind of like we read the Old Testament and we say, well, it really doesn't say anybody died of cancer there. Doesn't say much about prostate cancer there. Doesn't say much breast cancer there. Doesn't say much about this kind of cancer or this kind of disease. Or, or, it doesn't say anything about COVID. Let me tell you something. You want to talk about a circumstance. You put two million people out there wandering with no law enforcement. Turn them loose after they've been in bondage 400 years and you tell me what you've got. You got potential chaos. Go back up there in your Bible and look in verse number one and two. I've really never noticed this. You know, one of, the thing I, one of the things I love about studying God's word, God shows me new things. Woo! 
you like new things? I, I, I mean, how many times have I studied this chapter? But man, for the first time I looked at this, I said, you know what God did? I'd never even seen it. I've read it, I read it, I read it, I read it. Never seen it. All of a sudden I saw it. Apparently, God calls Joshua to the side and says, Joshua, I want to tell you something. Moses is dead. You don't think that's a bombshell? I mean, the people didn't know it because we know what Moses' pathway was. I mean, he would go off for 30 and 40 days at a time communing with God and he would just disappear for long stints of time. Deuteronomy, it, the last chapter tells us he was not adept to any kind of health problems. The dude wasn't gonna die physically. He wasn't wearing out. He was 120 years old. He disappeared all the time. It wasn't like he was decrepit and they were worried about him getting off in some rock somewhere and dropping over dead with a heart attack. They didn't even fathom that. And God's people had no idea that he was dead. But God calls Joshua and says, Joshua, I need to let you know something. Moses, my servant, he's dead. And Joshua, you're the man. Can you imagine what must have come in front of Joshua's heart? This is Moses, the man that wrote early books of our Bible. This is Moses that God had done such a great work. This is Moses that had released his people out of captivity. The man that was influential in the plagues, the release, the wandering. This is the man that saw God what face to face. And he's dead. Now we got Moses dead and Joshua's a rookie. Moses dead, Joshua a rookie. What is it that when you and I arrive at these set of circumstances that we think are just too big for us, all of a sudden God's promises are not so easy for us to claim? What makes us shrink back? You see, it's the difference in our responsiveness to the victorious Christian life and to oblivion. Out there in just nowhere land, into that stalemate, in, in, into that segment of life where we just drift away. We drift away from our roots. We drift away from the relationship of our Lord. And, 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 you know, and, and to put all that onto the plate, have you ever thought about this little strange twist? Moses, I hate to call him a failure, but Moses certainly failed. Moses' job was to get those people into the promised land. But we know Moses had his little own moment of disobedience. A little temper flared up at, toward, toward the Lord. And when it came right down to the moment, the last chapter in Deuteronomy, one of the saddest chapters on the Bible, Moses, you're gonna be able to see it. 
I'm gonna fulfill my pledge to give it to, to, to the peoples I promised, but you're not gonna be the one that takes us in. Can you imagine Joshua now? If Moses couldn't do it, then who can? You talk about some circumstances. But what I want you to understand is this. The Christian, we are built to flourish in adverse circumstances. Why? Because you and I walk on what? Conquered ground. Every single day, we claim God's promise personally. We're able to overcome the hurdle of time. We're able to, oh, 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 the spirit of God in us is, helps us overcome that hurdle of circumstances. It doesn't matter if it's medical, marital, parental. It doesn't matter if it's economic or social. It doesn't matter what kind of barrier comes up. God has equipped us for victory. And you tell me why most evangelical churches are all hunched over. Well, we ought to stand tall. You know, in these moments of adversity, we've got to remember something. Stars can't shine without darkness. God so often brings some of the greatest things out of darkness. And this courage that he speaks of in verse five, six, and seven, over and over. Be courageous, be strong. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's doing what? The, the very thing that we're afraid to do. It's having the power to let go of the familiar and forge ahead into new territory. That's what courage is. It's being willing to reach out for our fullest potential, not by remaining what we are. We can never get there remaining what we are, but our lives have got to change in terms of priorities. And so today, the first game changer, a big one. You and I striding out have got to come to that place spiritually where we're willing to accept and believe and trust God's promises personally. Despite the concept, the battle of time, despite the effect of our lives and different circumstances. Some of you said, well, COVID, COVID. I mentioned to you last week at invitation time. I've got a couple people here and they're in this room. Both of them. Wearing me out about our invitation. Wearing me slap dab out. And as I've shared with both of them, God has told me, have an invitation. Invite people to a covenant with me. We don't make people come. We don't pressure you to come. All I know is God told me, have an invitation. All week last week, I struggled with that. Thursday afternoon, 3.30, I went to one of my favorite places in Longview, Texas. A place, have you ever heard of it before? Called McAllister's. I walked in, young lady said, oh, there's Pastor Mike. Let me guess, a half gallon sweet, unsweet tea. No, just a cup, just a glass. 
I got my glasses, I turned to walk to the door. A young lady walked up beside me and said, sir, I want to thank you. I looked around, she was there with a small young man and what looked to be maybe her father-in-law. I, I don't know who those folks were. All I know is this young lady was engaging me in conversation and said, thank you. And I didn't know her. And I, I was trying to figure out, now I, I guess I'm supposed to know her. But so, I was so thankful for what she said next. She said, I know you don't know me and I don't go to your church. But she said, I watch you on TV every Sunday. And I said, well, praise the Lord. Wouldn't love to have you live one day. She said, well, I go to such and such church. She identified the church and she said, we go there. But she said, I, I just want you to know, I want to thank you. She said, this past Sunday morning, I heard what you said about God leading you to reopen the invitation. And she said, man, I wish our church would have an invitation. She said, back through the years and through early American history, so many people have been responsive in the public invitation, giving their life to Christ, committing to full-time missions and just surrendering. And she said, I just think it's great. She said, I heard what you said. I heard about those folks getting on you. She said, I, I don't even go to your church, but I just want to say thank you. I got in my old truck and I just sat there in total shock. As I drove out of that McAllister's parking lot, I just said, Lord, <laughs> woo, you're a great one. You are the great one. You put in my heart exactly what I sensed that you told me to do, and I did it. And you know what? It, it, well, Lord, you know. But Lord, I just want to thank you, either by circumstance or by divine appointment, that I sense now that you've even confirmed that more than you ever have in my heart. See, at some point, for you and I to be victorious, not a promise to not have any conflict, if we don't get to the place where we trust God's promises personally, we will have nothing. Aren't you thankful today that God is just as willing and able to save you and bring you to complete salvation today than he ever has been in the history of mankind? Today, he's more than willing and able to bring you to full potential, bring you to new steps of maturity. But you have to want to go there. The great ones are born in some of the darkest places. Courage. Let's pray together today. Lord, in a few moments, we open this altar to you just as you've asked us to do. And Father, maybe today we do live in unprecedented times. But Lord, you look out throughout history, through world wars and chaos and calamity, floods and volcano eruptions, earthquakes that have broken this planet. 
Father, we go back to the very children of Israel that were in really an unprecedented time. And yet in these moments in history, you always ask us to do the same, same thing. Trust you and trust your promises. So Father, today, if there be someone in this place, in this sanctuary, this place of worship, on your day, the Lord's day, that has never trusted you by faith, has never turned away from their sin and to Jesus alone. Father, just the simple fact of knowing that on this day, he has the authority and power and the desire to save someone in this sanctuary. I pray that someone would surrender their heart today to that call in their lives. Father, for someone that's here that has been away from you a long, long time, I pray that you would call us back to you, that we would trust the promise that we're we can never be plucked out of your hand, but Father, we know there are those moments of spiritual lows in our life when whether it be out of rebellion or selfishness or self-centeredness, whether it be out of a set of circumstances that we did not completely fully rise above, even though the Spirit has given us the tools to do so. Father, in those moments, we've got to come back and put the, the finger of blame in the place that it belongs in our very own hearts. Would there be someone today that's willing to say, my goodness, time is too short for me to continue living in this manner, in this way. God does want me to be a victorious follower of his. Father, maybe there's someone today that's just looking and praying God, connect me to the church. We've been wandering, we've been looking, we've been in these uncertain times and we're looking for the church home that you've desired us to be in. And Father, I pray that even if this is the place or not the place, that your spirit would speak into those hearts today with clarity, with conciseness. And Father, as we stand in these coming moments, we do so personally committed personally vested in your promises because Father, you have given us the privilege every single day of our lives to walk on conquered land. Every place we put our foot, it is your conquered place. And these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.